0: Everybody else, if you would, turn to John chapter 15. Good morning. We're going to step into the second part of uh, a, a three-week section of chapter 2 of First Peter. We'll get to First Peter here um, shortly. But Peter has some great counsel for us in chapter 2 in regard to how do we relate to people around us in regard to maybe bosses or government or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so by way of introduction this morning, just to remind us last week, and you may not have been here, last week Peter shared with us in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 that we are sojourners and exiles. Because of our relationship with Christ, that we have been born again, um, we have been brought through this past of just being not not with Him, but now we are connected with Him. We are in relationship with Him. And because of that, we are different. And we're passing through this world to our ultimate home, which is heaven. But this week, He's going to add on to that to say, even though this is not your home and your ultimate home is in heaven, how do we live as a citizen of the earth? Because we're here until we get there. So how do we relate to the governing authorities around us? And so we'll look at that today. Uh, next week, we will talk about, and He will talk about, um, suffering unjustly, and, and we will ca- try to bring some application in regard to how do you deal with unjust situations, unjust people, uh, maybe a boss or something like that. And then ultimately, in the end, we will see that Jesus ultimately is the one who's the ultimate example about how to deal with all of those things. So, by way of introduction this morning, y'all ready? Are y'all ready this morning? Uh, this is going to be one of those talks this morning where... Uh, I hope that you examine your heart, and I'll share a few more things here in just a moment. But I want to remind us, God's call upon our lives is that we would live such exemplary lives that when those in our culture want to accuse Christians of being something, that over time our life says to them, Christians really aren't that way, that we show them that there's something unique about who we are, but the reality is simply this, our culture and the world is going to continue to hate Christ and hate Christians. It's just the reality of things. And this should not surprise us. So I want to show you something from Jesus himself. John chapter 15, verse 18. Peter's been telling these people who have been systematically rejected by the world that they should understand this is not anything new because Jesus himself had said it. John fifteen eighteen. These are the words of Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do, to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus sets forth for us here that there's a reality to those who are in relationship with him and the reality is this is that the world is going to hate Christians. It's just part of the fundamental thing and the reason it is that way is because we're not of the world. The the people who are of this world and are living just for life here they don't get us. We've been born again. We've come alive on the inside and our values, how we do family, what we do with our money, all of those things are different and so they don't understand it and ultimately their hatred of us and the way we live that kind of rubs against them and they don't like it, it comes ultimately because they don't love him and they don't understand why Jesus has been sent and why he's here and so we're going to talk about persecution day, we're going to talk about how do we relate to our government When the government is growing increasingly um, hostile toward our faith, what is our response to be? What does um, that look like? And so some of the things that I'm going to share today may be a little bit foreign to some of us. It may be a lot foreign to us, and particularly in regard to um, our culture. And so you look around at our culture today, and we see walkouts, we see um, sit-ins, we see protests, we see demonstrations some of those sometimes become violent and so question that we have to ask as Christians is what is our role in the midst of that do we participate in those things Um, what is the call upon our lives in regard to our response to that what about when we are persecuted how do we respond to a government that does that and so how do we as Christ followers live in a day of such rejection of authority we see it all around us on a consistent basis and yet still be influential people by the way the culture views um, the government. And so I have a confession to make and a statement to make before we get into um, our time this morning. This is the case for me every time I stand up before you. And this should be the case if you're a life group leader, you teach the kids, whatever the case may be, wherever it is that you may serve and you may proclaim um, something connected to the gospel. I always examine myself as I prepare before I get up here, because I don't want to just say, hey, all of y'all, y'all need to follow this, you know, I don't really need to do this, but hey, good luck with that, I hope y'all can do that. I don't ever want to do that. I want to be one that when I speak here, I I want to examine my life as I'm putting these talks together for us on Sunday morning, and I want to make sure if something's not right, then I need to get my heart right. And I can honestly say to you that I I attempt to do that every week. Um, I'm just like you. Uh, I have a sin nature that's old in me that sometimes wants to just be strong in me and I have to crush it and I have to work on that. And so I have a confession to make today. We're gonna talk today about how does a Christian talk about, relate to, live in regard to government. And I'll confess to you that um, this has been an area that's been a place of sin for me. And sin for me not just recently, but for most of my life. And I think I have gotten caught up in the church culture in America that says this, I have these rights, and so therefore, because I have rights, I can say whatever I want to say without any kind of consequences. So as I studied this this week, I saw a darkness in me that um, I was okay with, but it wasn't biblical, and I don't need to be okay with it, because we never need to be okay with darkness. And so the light shone in my heart this week, and so I've confessed it. It's reared its head up every day, <laughs> and, and, but I'm asking God, God, will you, will you kill this in me? Because I want every part of who I am to be God-honoring to you. I also want to say this, that I will be an equal opportunity offender this morning, okay? Um, I'm just going to speak honestly uh, in regard to what does the Bible say about a Christian's view of government and how do we relate to this? I also want to stay, say this, that I will say some things and because of what dominates the news cycle in our country today, you you will have the temptation to go, oh, okay, Doke stands on this issue in this way and I'm not making any political statements whatsoever about race, about uh, about immigration, about who's in the office, about who's the minority leader, who is uh, the majority leader. I'm not making any kind of those kind of statements where I'm taking a stand on thing. but what I want to do today is just simply say this. This is what the Bible says about this, and so therefore what we've got to do is I don't, I don't want, I, I have thoughts on lots of things just like you do, but I don't want my thoughts to influence you because what needs to influence you is not me, it is Christ. We need His Word to influence and so I'm just going to set forth for us what this, looks like we are called to a life of great faithfulness even in this area that will shut the mouths of those who are gospel haters and one of the unique ways that we can do that is in our response as Christ followers to our government so let's we're gonna look at a number of different passages kind of in the beginning here and just kind of read them and kind of get a general idea so I want you to go to Galatians chapter 4 with me just for a moment Galatians 4 I promise you we're going to get to 1 Peter. We will get there in a few moments, but I want to establish some things that are important. Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5. First thing I want to talk about this morning is Jesus and his view of government, his response to government. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Now, this is not talking about law, government. This is talking about law Old Testament law. So that we might receive adoption of sons. So watch this. 2,000 years ago, in God's ultimate omniscience and perfect sovereignty, He didn't send Jesus to come in Genesis chapter 4, 5, or Genesis 10. He waited a long time after the fall of man for Jesus to come, From our time frame, it was 2,000 years ago. And so in his omniscience and in his sovereignty, Jesus, according to Paul there, came at the exact, right, perfect plan of God to be born on planet Earth. And when Jesus was born on planet Earth, he wasn't born in a representative democracy. He was born under a dictatorship. So when Jesus was born on planet Earth, it wasn't... None of the laws were like they are now. There was a man named Nero, not Nero, Nero wasn't, he's, he's coming with Peter, but there was a man on the throne, Caesar Augustus, and he was not a godly man. He was a man that wanted everybody in the kingdom to exalt him and to worship him, and he was a powerful man, and so Jesus was not born in a place like you and I. He was born under a dictatorship, but this was God's sovereign plan for jesus to be born at that time and under that type of government now i want you to go to acts chapter 17 for a moment so we have to ask the question well what about us we live in 2018 Um, we're here most of us living in collin county how do we respond to all this what's what's god's counsel in regard to us acts chapter 17 verse 26 we'll read 26 and 27 And He, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Here's what God did. So from one man, every nation, all came from that, to live on the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So let's just stop there. So here's the deal. So God, again, in His omniscience and His sovereignty, sent Jesus 2,000 years ago. He was born not in a democracy. He was born in a dictatorship. You and I live in 2018 in the United States of America, and God has determined the time period in which we live, the boundaries in which we live, the when and the where that we live, and we live here in America now. So our responsibility as a Christ follower is to respond to government that's a representative democracy. Jesus lived in a time where he related to government that was a dictatorship. So it's regardless of what type of government every Christ follower, every believer in God relates to whatever government is there. The scriptures are very silent on Jesus' perspective of Rome that he lived under. And I think we have to trust the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Spirit that what has come to us is exactly what we need to know. And what we needed to know was this, is that Rome just wasn't a big deal to Jesus. He didn't come to transform governments. He came to transform the hearts of people and to establish a spiritual kingdom. And regardless of whether it's a dictatorship A democracy, it didn't matter. Jesus had come not to transform culture, not to transform governments, but he had come to transform lost people, to bring them into the kingdom, and to bring the transformation to culture and to government through individual salvation of people coming to know him. So Jesus grew up in a world that was heavy taxation, emperor worship, cruelty, homosexuality was dominant. Divorce was rampant. There was a corrupt religious establishment that he grew up in and ministered in. It was a time of insurrection or a lot of talk about insurrection against Rome. As a matter of fact, we know this about Jesus. The only thing he ever said about Rome was this, was give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. That's the only thing that we know about Jesus in regard to Rome. So therefore, in that, what did Jesus say? He said, I and submitting to Rome's authority, even though I'm a Jew, even though I'm the Messiah, I'm submitting, so let's give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and we'll give to God what belongs to God. So Jesus submitted himself in that way. As a matter of fact, he submitted himself so much to Rome that they put him on a cross at the end of his life. Because both the Jews and Rome had the authority that put him to the cross, even though that was the plan. So he just submitted all along. Now, one thing that's interesting about Jesus is he even submitted to the religious establishment. There's an instance in Luke chapter 17 where um, there's a temple tax. It's a a two drachma tax that you had to pay um, to kind of keep things uh, taken care of uh, with the temple. And so um, the religious leaders came to Peter one time and said, Hey, does your teacher pay that tax? We want to know if he pays that. And so 25 says, Peter says, Yes, he does pay it. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to Peter saying, Hey, Simon, what do you think? From whom do the kings or the emperors of the earth take toll or tax? Do they take it from their sons or do they take it from the citizens of the land? And you know, Peter's like, well, you know, they, they don't take it from their sons. Their sons don't have to pay the tax. They take it from the people that are there. And so Jesus responds with these words. He says, then the sons are free. So the sons, the sons don't have to pay it. And Jesus is indicating... I'm, I'm the son, I don't, I don't theoretically have to pay this, but he said this, however, verse 27, to not give offense to them, and this is one of the coolest miracles that Jesus did. He said, hey Peter, you're a fisherman, I want you to go to the lake, and I want you to throw your fishing pole in there, and you're going to catch a fish, and the very first fish you catch, I want you to open it up, and inside the fish's mouth is going to be a coin to pay this tax. So Peter goes, casts it, pulls it out, and the coin is in there so watch this about jesus in regard to government he just didn't seem to be real worried about rome because he didn't come to again to reform government even with the religious establishment and this tax even though he was free he submitted because he didn't want to offend to that all right now let's look at paul in government i want you to go to romans chapter 13 so that's what shows us about jesus perspective there's not a whole lot there because I just don't think he was worried about that, and we understand why he wasn't worried about it, and how he just lived the way he lived in Romans chapter thirteen, verse one. Let every person. Let me just stop there for a moment. How many people is that? How many is every? Hello, that's a, that's I'm responsible. How many people is that? Everybody, right? So what's this, you who are citizens of a country, let every person be subject, submit to the governing authorities. Well, yeah, but I don't like my government, so I get, to, I get to rebel, right? No, no. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Look what it says next. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist... Have been instituted by God. Watch. So Jesus born 2,000 years ago. Rome's in power. Rome has come to power by whose hand? By Rome's hand or by God's? By God's. Now Rome used its hand of might. To conquer lands and to make slaves. And to do all that. But ultimately that has come. According to Paul here. From God himself. Look at verse 2. Therefore whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Here's why. Look at verse 4. Look what, look what Paul writes about government. For he, government, that leader, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Look, look how he describes. The government, this leader, is the servant of God. He is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, verse 5, one must be in subjection for two purposes. One To not only avoid God's wrath because you've rebelled against the state and you've gotten yourself in trouble. But secondly, but also for the sake of conscience. Watch this. It's just right to submit to the authorities because they've come from God. So here, Paul is saying, ultimate authority is God. Under God, God on the nations of the earth, God has in a lot of periods and time periods and boundaries and all this, He has allowed certain governments, certain leaders, certain types of government to rise up. Every one of them have risen up under the sovereignty of God. They ultimately come from Him. Now, I'll just be honest with you this morning, it's hard to wrap your mind around when you look through history about some of the incredible evil that has come from government. How is that a part of God's plan? Well, I don't know. I just know that Isaiah said God's ways are not my ways and His thoughts are not my thoughts and there's just some things that I don't fully understand how some things have happened according to this, but we have to trust what the Scripture says. All authority in regard to government has ultimately come from God and we have to submit to that. If we rebel, then there is a fear that comes with that. Paul also said to Titus, Titus is a guy that's on Crete. He's establishing elders in the churches that are there on this island. And he says, remind them, the churches, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. Then Paul wrote to Timothy in his perspective and gave Timothy a perspective about how does a believer relate to a dictatorship that the church was established under and this is what he said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.1. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made to all people for kings and for all who are in high positions that we, believers, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Jesus' perspective on Rome, he didn't really worry about it. Paul's perspective on Rome was, submit. To the governing authorities, but then proclaim the kingdom of God. Live in the freedom because we've come to establish not a kingdom of this earth, but we've come to establish a kingdom of heaven. So, third perspective I want us to do this morning is what was the Holy Spirit's perspective in the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit's work? Jesus ascended. We know after his resurrection, he ascended. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit came, filled and indwelt believers and empowered them, how did the believers on the day of Pentecost and moving forward in the book of Acts, how did they relate to government? Let me just share a few examples of what that looks like. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 gives this long speech to religious leaders. It's not a great sermon when they Bring you out and stone you to death, because that's what happens. And so, or I guess it really was a, it was a great sermon. He gives this long thing at the very end of it. They're like, we don't like this. They bring Stephen out into the streets. There's a young guy there. His name is Saul. The guys that are throwing the rocks take their cloaks off so that their arms can move freer. They lay their cloaks at a young man named Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. And Paul is there the day that these rocks are pounding Stephen. Stephen looks up into heavens. We know from all the other places, Jesus is always seated at the right hand of the Father. But as the heavens open up and Stephen is being pounded with rocks, he looks into heaven and he sees Jesus standing. It is as if Jesus is moved by Stephen's deep faith. And basically saying, yeah, that, that is a life well lived for my glory and for my name and Stephen dies and at that you come to Acts chapter 8 the church is scattered but I want you to notice this that in that moment in regard to Stephen the church didn't protest they didn't schedule a march they didn't do a sit-in against Rome they just continued to do what happened on the day of Pentecost they went about proclaiming the gospel because the believers, we're not about that. We, we want government to be better, obviously, and it's okay for that. But if government never gets better, then our focus always is a higher thing, and that is the kingdom of God. Let me give you another illustration about the believer's response to government. Paul arrives in Silas. They arrive in Luke in a city called Philippi. Things don't go well, and they're arrested. They're unjustly arrested and accused, and they are beaten. They are put in the jail, feet in stocks, arms in chains. They don't organize a demonstration. What do they do? They just worship and sing. What the government did was not right. They didn't deserve to be in there. They didn't deserve to be beaten, but they were. And so they embraced the moment. They had to submit to the reality of what came to them. And they chose in that moment the kingdom of God. And so they sang and they worshiped in Acts chapter 16. So Jesus' perspective, Paul's perspective, the Holy Spirit's movement in the book of Acts in regard to believers, none of the New Testament writers, there's not one example in the book of Acts where Christians rose up in a way to protest, or to fight against the Roman government, they, were, they understood that there was a call upon their lives that even though this government was evil and it was oppressive, that they had to submit to it and live in such a way to honor God. So let's see what Peter has to say now because it's a fourth perspective on this subject that the Bible gives us. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I told you we would get there. 1 Peter 2. Here's what Peter says. Be subject for the Lord's sake... To every human institution, this is, what is that, verse 13? To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil or to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men or people. Live as people who are free. But not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then he says these words, gives four areas of what this looks like. And so he says, he says at the end, at the end of that there, and I've just lost my thought, he says, wh- what does it say? Uh, here we go. He, said, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So let's talk about this. All right. Are y'all ready? Everybody doing okay so far? If I've offended you, blame God. He gave us the word. Okay. All right. So how does a believer relate to our government? Since we live here, we have, we have some Canadians here, and so how do they relate to their government? Hey, there's some, those people behind you are from Canada blocks right there. I don't know if you've met them, but y'all are like back row Canadians back over there, all right, um, back part. <coughs> so how do we relate as a Christ follower to the government that's over us? In several weeks we'll see how Jesus did it, um, but let's see the counsel that's here. And the first counsel that Peter writes here, and it's the same one that Jesus embraced, here's what Peter writes, you submit, be subject, be subject to. This word is a Greek word, hypoteso, and it means this, to arrange or order underneath like in a military fashion under the command of a leader. That's what this means, to be subject to. So Peter says, listen again, who's he writing to? i got to remind us of this. These are people most likely living in Italy. Nero has burned Rome. He blamed the Christians for it, so they start arresting Christians. These Christians have fled. Peter knows them. They've landed in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He writes this letter to them, severely persecuted Christians, and he says this to them. I know the government has persecuted you, but I want to remind you that you're a Christ follower. And here's how a Christ follower relates to the government. You submit yourself to the government that is persecuting you. Wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? No, that's what Peter says. Make yourself subject to, for God's sake, the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Let's talk about this word just for a moment. Be subject and touch on this for a second. So we are, we talked last week, we are sojourners and exiles just passing through on our way to our ultimate home in heaven. Right now, we kind of have to be citizens of the earth until we get there. And so there's a responsibility on our lives to be an example of what it looks like to be a transformed person. And Peter is saying one of the unique ways that we show that we've been transformed by the Spirit of God is that even though we don't agree with everything the government does, we are going to be the best citizens of this land even though we don't agree with everything because we want to show that Jesus is worth being obedient to even though we don't like Maybe some stuff that's happening around us. I read this week a story about a Russian pastor um, before the wall fell and all of that took place during the Cold War. And they asked him, what did did y'all tell the believers in Russia? What did did y'all tell them? What was it that you communicated to the people that you pastored? And this is what he said. We told them, never get arrested except for one thing. If you're going to get arrested, you get arrested for this you get arrested for preaching the gospel. But don't you get arrested by being disobedient to the Russian government and being rebellious and causing a problem. Don't do that. If you're going to get arrested, you get arrested by preaching the gospel. And I tell you, when I I read that this week and I read a little bit more about this person, I just thought, man, we, we just have no clue about what that's like. We just have no clue. How do you Under an oppressive regime that hates Christianity, how do you live for Jesus? Well, you do it the way Jesus did. You live as people who are free, not using your freedoms to cover up for evil. You just say, I'm free, and I'm going to live, and if you arrest me, you can arrest me, but I'm going to be someone who's going to live for the higher authority, the kingdom of God, and yet at the same time, I have to submit to this authority that's come from him that is over me. At this moment these Christians here and Christians in the first century, they were accused of unbelievable things. I also want to remind you that Peter and Paul both, both lost their lives at the hand of Nero. So when Peter is writing to these believers, he is saying, "You be subject to Nero." Yeah, but Nero's persecuting us, yeah, that's right and Nero. In time, under his regime, would crucify Peter upside down. And Peter says, Paul writes in Romans 13, Paul would be beheaded by Nero. And he says, you believers, you submit yourself to Nero and you be subject to him. I want you to turn to one place. This is awesome. I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 29 just for a moment. I want to show you one more thing in Jeremiah 29. We love Jeremiah 29 because there's a verse in there that says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, and we love that verse. It really is awesome verse, but there's some great counsel at the first part of that before you get there that talks about this subject matter that we're looking at this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29, um, and I read some things this morning. We're not going to read. We're going to go to, uh, we're going to look at one, and then we're going to go to three. So Jeremiah 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving exile elders of the exiles, to the priests and the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now look up here. So here's the deal. God had come through the prophets and said, listen, Israel had been divided, ten tribes were The northern kingdom, they were called Israel. The southern kingdom was a couple of tribes, and they were called Judah. And the Syrians came in because of all the idolatry of the northern kingdom, and they just basically took those ten tribes, and they've been scattered, and they've never been put back together. They didn't come back in the exile. But then God said, listen, I'm going to use this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to come in. And for 70 years, starting with him, you're going to be scooped up from Israel, and you're going to be transplanted in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was an evil tyrant leader. He was all about himself. He eventually builds this big statue for everybody to worship him. You know, he just, he was an evil, evil man. And so so Jeremiah is writing to the believers. They've been scooped up. They've been planted in Babylon. Jeremiah is back in Jerusalem. He writes a letter. It's sent to the elders over there. And he's going to tell them, listen, you're over there living in a land that's not your home. And this is what you do. Look what he says now. I want you to go to verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's how he tells them to live. Look at verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens in Babylon and eat their produce. Verse 6. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there in Babylon and do not decrease. And listen to to what he says in verse seven, how they ought to live. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Is that not powerful? God can't. He said, "Listen, I'm done with your idolatry. I'm done with you not listening." So Nebuchadnezzar scoops him up. He plants him there, and God says, "You're there. I'm going to bring you back." You get to verse 11 in Jeremiah 29. I know the plans. You're there. I know the plans I have for you. It's not to leave you there. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to prosper you. But while you're there, you live in light of Yahweh. I'm I'm the high God. You live there. For the good of Babylon, for the good of the city, for if you'll live well there, it will be good for you there because you will submit to an evil tyrant and he'll leave you alone because you're the best citizens in the country even though you're not a citizen in the country. And that's the call God has and how we relate to government, that where we're planted here in Collin County, we are to live for the welfare of our city. How do we do that? We give our time. We're good citizens. We're kind to people. We buy a meal at Chick-fil-A sometime and, and give it to the person on the corner who's hungry. Or we pay for a hotel one night of somebody who's on the corner. Yeah, but they may do something evil. Yeah, they may. Hello, welcome to the world. It's full of evil things that happened. You, believer, where you're planted, When God scoops you up and he places you there in the allotted boundaries and the time periods that you live, you be good where you are. You live in such a way that makes you stand out and you subject yourselves. How in the world do you do that? Well, here's what Peter said. You be subject for the Lord's sake. That's the motive. Why do we live this way? Why do we live this way when we don't agree with everything? We live this way because Jesus said, I have established the governing authorities over you because it's come from my authority. And when you live in obedience and submission to what the land says, you honor me. I get the glory from the way you live, even though you don't agree with everything. You live just like Judah was to live in Babylon. You live for the welfare of where you live. And when you do that, the good comes to you because the kind of life that you live. And so we live submissively for this reason, for the Lord's sake. I I do this not because I think our government's the greatest thing in the world, because I don't think that. I am going to obey by the way, did you speed coming to church this morning? Do you know those signs that say, drive this fast? Do you know that every Christian should drive that fast and not over? Well, yeah, but you know, they don't stop you if you drive four miles over, the, over what that says. Well, no, no, no. No, 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 that's not what it says. Maybe they don't do that. You obey the governing authorities that are over you. And that goes down to everything. Taxes, don't you love taxes? Tax deadline was Tuesday or Monday. It was Tuesday until the IRS uh, server went down and they extended it to Wednesday. You pay your taxes, Christian. Yeah, but I don't want my tax money going to that. Well, tough. You pay your taxes. Paul speaks about that in Romans 13. Jesus gave to Caesar what belonged to Caesar. So you and I, have to do that as well. So we live submissively for the Lord's sake. So watch what he says here. Be subject. Motivation. How do I do this? I'm doing this for you, Jesus. For the Lord's sake, you do this to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him who punish those who do evil or to praise those who do good. Every human institution there are two God institutions marriage and the church other things are more connected to human things that means if you're a sports player you speak well of your coach if you're a student at a school you respect your principal and your teachers if you're a Christ follower you live in such a way that shows that you're different than everybody else you submit even when you don't agree well I think that homework is not fair well, has homework ever been fair? No. We're called not to fairness. We are called to godliness. And it's not always the same. And so he says, listen, you submit to every human institution. Again, I remind us, whether it be to the Emperor Supreme, that's Nero, for Peter and for Paul, you submit to... Nero, as if he is, under God, the most important person. And you submit to him, and you obey, and you be a good citizen. Oh, I could go on and on today. All right, let's look at a couple things. God, ultimately, though, controls the kings. Listen to these things. Proverbs 8, 15, By me kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me princes, rule, and nobles, and all who govern justly. Daniel 2.21, God removes kings and sets up kings. Daniel 4.17, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and He gives it to whom He will, and He sets it over the lowliest of men. And I love this one, Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and God turns it wherever he wills. You know, he can just touch Trump today and he could turn his heart to godliness. He could touch Nancy Pelosi today, his heart, and he could just, with his finger, just turn her heart today. And we as his people have been instructed by the scripture to pray for people regardless of political affiliation, regardless of we like their policies, as God's people, we are called to a high, high standard to seek the good and the welfare of the city, of the nation, of the land, and we do that by living exemplary lives. Now, there's two purposes of government that Peter writes here. Government does two things, and I think government, I think in in our country today, um, we are seeing the crumbling of this nation before our eyes. And it's come because we've messed things up in a number of different ways, but there's two purposes of government to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And, and I look at our country today and we don't honor good citizens that much. Those who do evil, they dominate the news cycle because it sells advertising dollars. And again, this is not a political statement. I just want to say a statement of fact because I think it's, it's an example of why things are crumbling before our eyes. We are so concerned about the rights of criminals than we are over people who have not committed any crimes. Now, I'm not against people who have committed crimes. The buoys work in that setting, and they work in such a way to redeem see God redeem those people so that when they get out they live productive lives knowing Jesus just like what we're talking about here today but we've messed this up we've messed this up government does two things and I think if government steps beyond those two things then government just gets its hand in places it shouldn't government should punish those who do evil that's what Peter says and it should praise those who do good And we just don't see that around us. And I believe that this is how the Bible defines what government should look like. This is what it looks like. You know, Jesus submitted to Pilate. He submitted to Rome. Pharaoh, if you and I live in such a way, Pharaoh praised Joseph in Genesis 41. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2 praised Daniel for the kind of life that Daniel lived. And you know, you and I today, As much as we can be frustrated at America, this is a pretty great place to live, is it not? A week from today, uh, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to fly to Asia. And I'm going to stay in hotels or I'm going to stay in a church for most of the week. And when I flip that water on in the morning, I don't put my toothbrush under that faucet. Because if I put it in my mouth, I'm going to get sick that day or later. We woke up this morning here in America and we flipped our faucet on we stuck our toothbrush in there and we brushed our teeth and we didn't think anything about it. You know who brought that about? Government did. We got to church here today. I hope you didn't have a wreck or fender bender. But we got here to church without complete chaos on the roads because there's stoplights, there's directional signs, there's lines on the road to show you where to drive, when to stop, when to turn. Government does some pretty good things for us in this country. Don't lose sight of that when you see things. We live in a great place. We're sitting in this room today not fearing that anybody's gonna come in here and arrest us today. We should be so thankful for that. And yet at the same same time, we should recognize that our freedom is killing us. It's killing us. We are in bondage to our freedom because we think we can just do whatever we wanna do without any consequences. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. All right, look. Be subject. Here's the motivation. For the Lord's sake, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil or to praise those who do good. And then he says this. He says, listen, here's the deal. You need to know this, that you need to live your life well. This is God's will. This is God's will for you that by doing good... You should, living that way, it will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That your life will be lived in such a way that it silences the lips of those who have attacked Christians. But before we do that, walk through that, I want to address a question that you may have asked already. Are there times when we just can't follow the laws? Are there times when we can't submit? Is there biblical examples for God followers and Christ followers to not follow? Yes, there are in certain cases, but I, there's a caveat with it. Let me give the examples. Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar builds this huge statue. It's made of solid gold. Everybody in the country, when the horn blows, has to bow and worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow. So what happens to them? They're thrown into the fire. Daniel chapter 6, Darius, Persian king, because after the Babylonians were done Persia came in. Iran came in and took over the kingdom of Babylon. And a lot of those people got taken to Persia. And so in Persia, Daniel is there. And Darius passes the law and says, you can't pray. Well, what does Daniel do? He ignores the law and he prays. What happens to Daniel? Well, he gets arrested and he gets thrown into a lion's den. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, uh, Saul's bodyguards refused to kill the priests of God. He wanted the priests to be killed. Acts chapter four, verse 19. Peter and John have been arrested and they are brought before the Sanhedrin. They said, hey, um, by whose name are you doing this? Uh, We're doing this by the name of Jesus. We're commanding you to not preach in this name anymore. And Peter says, look, you can judge for yourself. I I don't know what the deal is, but uh, we're, we're gonna continue to talk about Jesus and we're not gonna submit to you because we're gonna talk about Jesus. Now watch this. In every one of those cases, a believer by conscience said, I can't do that. I can't follow that. And so there may be times in our life where, in some kind of big way, if there ever comes a time where they say somebody like me can't preach against homosexuality or can't do something without something happening and taking place, I will preach about that and I will, I will just be arrested and I will be put in prison. That's what every example in the Scripture is. There were moments when believers said, I can't bow to that. And they just accepted whatever earthly consequences were going to be connected to that. So we can, if there's moments of consciousness say, I, I just, I can't do that. We also, at the same time, then have to deal with and accept the consequences of what the earthly government may do to us. Are y'all with me? It's hard, hard to embrace, but that's, what, that's, that's our example from the scripture of those who didn't bow and didn't do that, they accepted it. Peter I mean Paul and Silas Paul if you ever read I don't know if you've ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 you should read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and look at all the things that governments did to Paul because of his faith and never one time did Paul say unfair hey i'm going to get everybody in asia and we're going to we're going to march he just submitted himself and he paid the price And we look back on him, and he's probably the most incredible believer who's ever lived. And the reason is, is he lived, submitted to God and not to government. And he let government do what it needed to do to him because he was faithful in his obedience. So he says, now Peter says in 15, This is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Our allegiance to Jesus becomes the greatest good that we offer our nation. Listen to that. Our obedience to Jesus, our love for Jesus, our passion for Jesus is the greatest thing that we offer McKinney and Prosper and Plano and wherever it is that we live. It's the greatest thing that we can offer is our obedience. And I want to remind you and I this morning, the lost world today, they're not going to read the Bible today. They're not going to read it tomorrow. They're not going to read it Wednesday. They're not going to read it a decade from now. The only the Bible that they're going to read and the only Jesus they're going to see is us. And so that's why Peter is calling God's people to live in such a way that communicates God has transformed me. I belong to him. I've been changed by him. And the world can accuse, but eventually in time they just say, those people are authentic. I don't agree with the way they live, but they live what they say. They live that way. They embrace it. Good works will put you and I on the best side of our government, and we are to be such good citizens of our nation that we are able to live down the charges that they throw at us. I don't know about you. I could care less what Hollywood thinks about my faith and my Jesus, but I do care that you and I would live in such a way that would eventually shut that place's mouth. That there wouldn't be movies mocking God and Jesus and His glory and His word anymore. And one of the best ways that we do that is, here's what Peter says. You live as people who are free, but you don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Some of you will remember this, younger generation won't. You remember in the 90s, if you were a Christ follower, the big debate was, Should Christians blow up abortion clinics with bombs? No, they shouldn't. They can stand near it, and they can pray, and they can plead with maybe a woman going in there in love, not shouting evil things at her as she's going in there. So it doesn't mean that we can't stand and pray and do things, but we should not use our freedom as a cover-up to do things that are evil, that the scripture would call to be evil. And so this license of sinning cannot be embraced by us. So Peter says, listen, if you want to be a good citizen, you have freedom. You've been freed by Jesus. We're free on the inside. Government may oppress the physical, but they can't touch the inside. That's why Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail at midnight could just go with stripes on their backs, they put their feet in stocks. Stocks in those days where were there's a wooden beam with holes, and they would stretch their legs out of this. And so Paul and Silas are like this, backs against the wall, bleeding. They're in the inner part, and they're just singing because they're singing because you can touch the body, but you can't touch the soul. And when the soul is set free, it can sing at midnight with stripes on the back. Because you're indwelt by the power of the Spirit. And Jesus is just that good so he calls his people here Peter does you're free but don't you use your freedom as a cover-up for evil and a license to do things that has nothing to do with God so but here's how you do it so he says he says the words he says listen live as people who are free but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but live as servants of God our freedom in Christ is a freedom not to license to do whatever we want to do, but our freedom now is a license to do what God wants us to do and to live in such a way that influences the world around us. If we choose to be enslaved to anything other than Jesus, we will end up being in bondage and entrapped with something other than Christ. And that's not freedom. That's not life. And so we want to walk as servants of God, live as servants of God, in a unique way and then he says how where What does that look like so he really brings it down and talks about here's the length of the call to be a good citizen honor i'm gonna ask you a response question y'all listening honor everyone how many people does that include everyone right honor everyone what do you mean honor everyone well, I don't like that the president tweets these crazy things all the time. Oh, just, uh, I don't like when Nancy Pelosi says this in her view of this. I don't like when the majority leader says this. Well, I don't like that Supreme Court judge, and we open our mouth and we speak evil. And I pray this week, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I struggle with that woman. I have prayed for her this week. I've never prayed for her before. And I pray that God would rescue her soul and bring her into the kingdom. We need to pray that for whether our party is in power or our party is not in power. Honor everyone. Honor the homeless person. Well, they're just, I'm not giving them money. They're gonna take that money and they're gonna go buy liquor with it. If God tells you to give money, to a person who's going to go buy liquor, you just give the money and let God deal with that and deal with them. If you've been prompted to do something good, you do it. And if you've got a problem with that, then just buy them food and give them the food if they're hungry. But do good. Honor the homeless person. Honor the guy on the corner. Honor Barack Obama. Honor Donald Trump. Honor everyone. Yeah, but I don't No. Honor, and here's why honor. It does, honor doesn't mean agree with. It means this, that person has been made in the image of God, and God desires their soul to be rescued and brought into the kingdom. So live in a way that honors someone because they've been made in the image of God. The buoys know this. Rocky knows this. Rick goes to the jail on Saturday mornings to go into these dark places of people who have done evil in the world, and they're locked up. Do you know that some of those people have done evil in the world? Um, their light is shining bright in prison and some of them aren't ever going to get out because they got rescued from the darkness. And their allotted boundary is prison for the rest of their life, but they live free in prison because their heart is connected with Christ. So you honor, he says, everyone. And then you love the brotherhood. You love God's people. Honor everyone. You don't have to agree with them. And you love the brotherhood. And then he says, and you fear God. Why in this context fear God? Because again, Romans 13, God is the ultimate authority who set up the government authorities and if you don't obey the government authorities, then you're gonna have to deal with God who set them up. Yeah, but God, that government authority, they think this, they do this. We just live and trust God with his sovereign hand. Romans 13 is true or it's not true. And I think it's absolutely true that Donald Trump is our president. Barack Obama was our president. Bill Clinton was our president under God's leadership. That's what Romans 13 says. Now God may use democratic processes. He may use dictator overtaking dictator to set things up. But according to Romans 13, God's involved in all of that And again, we don't fully understand that, but that's what Romans 13 says. So, you fear God. And this one amazes me. He comes back around to it. At the end of Peter's life, well, actually on the shore before Jesus ascended, Jesus has this conversation with Peter after they had some fish. And Peter says, hey, Peter, when you get older, Jesus says, when you get older, somebody's going to take you and they're going to dress you in such a way and you're not going to like the way they dress you. And he was speaking to Peter about the way he was going to die. And then Peter saw John and said, well, what about him? And, and Jesus said, you don't worry about him. You don't worry about him. This is what I told you. Under Nero's reign at the end of Peter's life, tradition tells us this, some pretty good resources said that Peter was going to be crucified just like this on a Roman cross, the way Jesus did. That Peter told the Roman leaders, I don't want to be crucified right side up. I want to be crucified upside down. And he was crucified with his head to the ground and his feet up in the air. Nero did that. The Apostle Paul, under Nero's reign, put his head on a block one day and they took a big axe and they cut his head off. Paul and Peter both say this, honor the emperor, honor Nero. Yeah, but Nero is going to kill me. Honor Nero because you belong to me and I'm calling you to higher obedience. I don't know if you've survived this or not, but I'm done. Here's the deal, Folks. You may go, yeah, yeah. Some of you may have all along gone that I've lost it. I've lost it, and maybe I have lost it. But this is what the Bible says. Do you see that today? It's what the Bible says. It's what it says. So we're going to walk out these doors in a moment. We're going to sing one more song. We're going to walk out these doors in a moment, and we're going to go home, and we're going to speak evil about our government, or we're going to honor the emperor. Those are our two options. And I've shown you what a Christ follower is supposed to do today. These are not my opinion. This is God's opinion. God's inspired text. This is how we are to live. And so how in the world do you do that? Well, you can't, you can't live this way. You cannot honor Nero if you hold on to your heart. Christ has to have your heart. And that's just a daily thing. God, because all around me, I don't like what I see all around me. So God, here's my heart today. Here's my heart. Sometimes it's just a minute by minute. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Here's my heart, God. And I need you to do something. I need you to put truth in here. Truth, truth, truth. That's what we've got to do. This is what Peter says. He says, listen, this is the way that you shut the mouths of foolish people who don't get the gospel. You live such a good life that they just can't say anything anymore. What a... High calling upon our lives. I tell you, I'd rather have this than the license to sin because for 17 years of my life, I operated under the license of sinning and I was so empty and it wasn't until I tasted and met Jesus that my life was different and I'd much rather have the high calling and the difficulty of this and the persecution that may come than a life of bondage and sin. God's called his people to a high place. Let's pray.